0: This week, we're taking issue with 2023. Sue O'Connell and I will break down the top five local stories in Boston, politically speaking, of course, and the top five national stories and what might 2024 hold. This is taking issue.
1: Our nation was born here, not with a whimper, but with the spark
0: of revolution. One more indictment, and this election is closed out. That's what democracy is it's a choice. Of
1: the people, by the people,
0: and for the people. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for the final edition of Taking Issue for 2023. Hope you had a lovely and peaceful Christmas, and as we approach New Year's, we're going to bring in the top ten stories: five local five national. It's a segment that Sue and I both did on a recent episode of at issue and we'll also sort of break down the inner workings of, of what we thought were the most important political stories of 2023. We hope you enjoy. We'll begin right here at home counting down the biggest local stories from five to one and where else to start than at Boston City Hall, the site of so much chaos and dysfunction this year. It started with a federal lawsuit over redistricting, pitting some council members against their own colleagues. The lawsuit ultimately succeeded and the city's political boundaries were redrawn. Two counselors, Tanya Fernandez Anderson and Ricardo Arroyo, paid fines for ethic violations. And there's counsel Kendra Lara. She faced criminal charges after a crash in Jamaica Plain. Outgoing counselor, Michael Flaherty, did not hold back when discussing Lara's transgressions on our program in July.
1: The behavior is one of habitual scofflaw and to go uh, 10 years without a license isn't a mistake. It's the middle finger, frankly. And I think the voters of District 6 need to uh, address that themselves.
0: Sue, so it just appeared as the year went on, things just got worse and mm-hmm. worse and worse. There's going to be a new council coming in in 2024, a new new faces. We saw some incumbents lose the preliminary elections. Uh, Just just your thoughts on a wild 2023 down in Boston City Hall.
1: Well, it was sort of like a perfect storm for the Boston City Council. You had a number of issues that were contributing to this. You had a bunch of new people who joined the city council for the first time, experience counts, right? Mm -hmm. So you had some folks who certainly may have been experienced in their private or professional lives, but now they're no longer candidates, they're lawmakers and that's different. You had COVID. So Mm -hmm. uh, you had a lot of folks working from home, a lot of counselors working from home. So they were unable to face-to-face have disagreements and then maybe go get coffee afterwards. And I think there was just this lack of leadership. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily just President uh, Ed Flynn's problem. It's everyone's problem. And then you had the, the great old problems Boston's mm. had, racism and, you know, neighborhood divisions which have happened, which really kind of fueled this fire.
0: What do you think is, I guess, sort of the, the bigger divide or could be the div- bigger divide moving forward? Is it going to continue to be that racial divide or is this a is this a generational thing more than anything
1: it's i think it's both but there's also the how progressive are you going to be situation mike flaherty who we just heard from who when he first got elected to the council back in the 1990s was considered very progressive and as he told us on the show he didn't change everything else around him has changed so uh, it's going to be interesting you've got a number of people who have been elected Uh, who are sort of on Michelle Wu's team. So is this going to make her more powerful? I think we're going to have new things to cover this week, uh, this year, Corey, but I don't think there'll be any more fistfights or maybe no arrests. Who knows?
0: We'll see. We'll see what happens. Let's move on to number four, and that would be the increased steps to deal with the state's housing crisis. Governor Healy addressed it during her inaugural address, and this year she hired a cabinet-level housing czar at Augustus. In October, the governor unveiled a four billion dollar bond bill that includes tax breaks, legal changes and other efforts to jumpstart construction of new housing. I guess really the top line of, of this topic is that it is no longer, it appears, a debate in Massachusetts. It's no
1: longer a secret.
0: Yeah, we have a we have a major housing crisis and steps are being taken at the local and state level to actually fix it. But I guess that is a that is a major accomplishment that it is no longer, as you said, a secret or really a debate that we need more housing in Massachusetts.
1: Yeah, and and it's the acceptance. I love when we're making this list. We've had this problem for a long time. Finally, people acknowledge the problem exists. Part of it is you know, people are seeing that their adult children can't live in the town that they grew up in, or they can't sell their house and move to a comparable condo somewhere, that you are actually being forced out of Massachusetts or out of the city that you grew up in. And people are seeing what the problem is with the zoning issues Mm -hmm. that we've had. So the not in my backyard people, uh, although they're getting victories here and there, it's being very clear that if you want Massachusetts to be a place where people can live Mm -hmm. and help our economy, then they have to be able to afford to live here. And we're
0: really starting to see the MBTA communities law really take hold. Mm -hmm. We saw votes in Newton late in the year. Um, We know Boston is going to look at zoning, take a critical look at zoning in 2024, which we recently spoke about uh, here on Ad Issue. So it'll be interesting to see what actually comes? And I think a lot of people just want to see shovels in the ground, mm-hmm. right? They want to see affordable housing being built. Uh, but we know there are going to be legal challenges. There's always a politicking that goes on for and this And there's
1: the push-pull, right? You right. You want a home, you want to get the most you can if you're going to sell it. You want yeah. your kids to be able to buy a home and afford it. Those things sometimes yeah. are not um, compatible.
0: Yeah. Um, number four leads us to number three because they are related. Uh, and that is the migrant crisis. It was an issue that appears to have caught uh, local and state leaders by surprise. We had a surge of migrants combined with the state's existing housing crisis, and it overwhelmed the Commonwealth shelter system. That led to Governor Healy more or less declaring the state would sidestep its right to shelter law and impose a cap of 7,500 families, saying the system simply could not safely accommodate anymore. That threshold was met early in November, and that prompted families to be added to a wait list for shelter. Help is finally on the way, though, in the form of $250 million for the state's emergency shelter system we know the migrant issue is a national issue but it really came home to roost uh, in massachusetts and really across new england
1: yeah and it's an interesting situation right so we have this housing crisis which we know about we're trying to get people to move to massachusetts because we don't have enough workers to work Mm -hmm. in some of the jobs that uh, keep the economy going we have these people come to the shelter system which the emergency shelter law is really an extreme law you have to be in pretty much extreme poverty in order to be able to qualify. And some of these migrants who arrived, we were told, didn't qualify because they had places to stay, they had Mm -hmm. relatives here. So uh, it was sort of a small number of people that caused us a big reflection on our entire situation. And I would say, you know, not many people campaigned on migrants for governor or for other issues. I've had friends and family, as I'm sure you have on the Southern border, who've been saying, this is a problem that you don't get to experience. And the idea that we might have migrant families living on the streets was something we couldn't tolerate, I think, as a state. But again, it's a federal issue. It's a Congress issue. Mm-hmm. That's what has to get fixed here.
0: And it, it's one that continues to to divide you know, red states and blue states because you see uh, southern governors like Ron DeSantis in Florida, Greg Abbott in Texas sending migrants uh, across the country to New York and, and places like Boston, take, sort of taking advantage of their sanctuary city policies and trying to score political points. But I think what's really important is at the core of all this are real people Mm -hmm. just trying to live better lives, escaping political, economic persecution, um, and really America living up to the promise that we all say that we want to live up
1: to. Yeah, and migrant um, uh, advocates often say to me that I shouldn't say it this way, but these are exactly the people you would want as citizens, these are the people you want working because they have gone through so much to come to this country. I mean, obviously we should be open to everyone, mm. but these this is the kind of character you want working in this country.
0: And let's face so there it, is, there is a, a security aspect mm-hmm. to no, this. Nobody doubts that there's there's a humanity aspect to this. Um, let's hope in 2024, maybe the the rhetoric, rhetoric? winds down, I know we're in an election year, but maybe even beyond 24, maybe we finally get comprehensive immigration reform in the United States.
1: And I would also say, Corey, for folks who were complaining that Massachusetts citizens and veterans were not getting the housing the migrants were getting, the migrants weren't getting that much Mm -hmm. housing, there aren't that such a large number of unhoused veterans that we couldn't solve that if we Mm -hmm. really wanted to. So if you were complaining about unhoused veterans, find a way to house them.
0: All right, let's move on to number two. And we're going to Head on up to the corner office. Governor Healy sworn in, taking action on a number of critical state needs in the process. She made history early in 2023 as the first woman to be elected and sworn in as governor and the nation's first openly lesbian governor. In her inaugural address, she outlined goals on major issues like the MBTA, taxes, education, housing, Now, the administration still has plenty of work to do. Nobody denies that. But the governor has been able to cross a few things off her to-do list. She signed the first tax reform bill in the state in two decades, made community college free to everyone older than 25, hired the state's first-ever climate chief, and we already mentioned her housing plans. I hate to put you on the spot, but could you give a maybe a letter grade to, to Governor here Absolutely.
1: I think she's she's doing a work here. I okay. mean, um, you know, she she ran sort of as like a, a liberal Charlie Baker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're discovering some mistakes Charlie Baker made during his administration, which she is now trying to clean up. She has had no scandals, pretty much. She has been uh, fulfilling her campaign promises and building teams. I mean, you know, when we cover some of the first that she has, she's high hired someone to run the MBTA who actually has experience. Oh. She's got someone in charge of housing. Uh, she's got someone in charge of uh, veterans affairs that uh, actually has experience to do things. So I think she's really been delivering on her promises and um, not getting in any trouble.
0: She was getting a lot of criticism from progressives during the, the, the run-up to to the camp, through the campaign and, and, and to election day. We know that that progressives weren't that thrilled with her her tax reform bill and what was in it now? Look, there's things that the legislature is Mm -hmm. responsible for there. But we asked on city council, are you progressive enough? What do you think progressives, when they see this this first year of Maura Healy's tenure, has she been progressive?
1: Absolutely not. (laughs) You know, I mean, she's a a former law, she's law enforcement, right? You know, the thing we forget about Warren Healy is she's the attorney general and she has a very practical approach to things. She did not run as this massive progressive reformer by any means. If you compare her to, say, Michelle Wu, Mm -hmm. she's definitely more moderate. But at the same time, as we discuss all the time, the unenrolled voters in Massachusetts are the one who make, ones that make up the majority. So if you're going to be governor, uh, I don't think you're going to be able to be as progressive and win as you may even think yeah. that you want to be.
0: Well, the, one of the highlights of my year was actually going to the corner office and seeing it and talking to her and sitting down with her. So let's yep. hope that we get to do that again uh, in 2024. All right. The number one local story of the year. What else is it going to be other than the <laughs> MBTA? There is a new man in charge. Governor Healy brought in Philip Ang, who had worked for decades in New York and has earned praise from transportation advocates for his approach to dealing with the T's many problems. We learned back in October, the tracks on the Green Line extension are more extensively not suited (laughs) than first thought. And last month, the Heat administration estimated it would cost 24 billion with a B dollars in new investments before the T is in a good state of repair. Slow zones, security concerns for workers trying to fix Mm -hmm. the problem. Your thoughts on the T and the MBTA in 2023?
1: Yeah, this this is a problem. I think I said this to the governor when we spoke with her. This is like you don't brush your teeth for 30 years, and then you wonder why your teeth are falling out. You know, this system, which Governor Mike Dukakis said should have been the best system in the world, if not the country, um, uh, it has been neglected since Mike Dukakis was governor. And even Deval Patrick, when he was governor, The number that he came up with that was gonna have to be put in when he was governor to fix this is close, uh, adjusted for inflation to the number that we just got on how much it's gonna fix it. So none of this should be a shock and cleaning up all of this, every problem that happens is sort of on the other person's watch, whether it be uh, Mitt Romney, Baker, Patrick, but at the same time, um, we all have to just hold our breath Get it fixed because we cannot build the houses mm-hmm. to have the people live, grow our economy, grow our population, and have people want to live here if you cannot if you can walk faster than taking mm. a train a half a mile.
0: Really quick, just your thoughts on the, the work that Philip Ang has done in his short time.
1: It's been remarkable. I think he's been transparent. His, his expertise certainly comes through. You really believe he knows what he's talking about. We've heard stories of him identifying small problems that other people say would take a year to fix, and he gets it fixed in six months. Those aren't the kind of sexy stories that we're covering, but he seems to have the um, you know the support of the, the workers as well. So I'm optimistic, Corey, as yeah. we enter 2024. Let's
0: hope he speeds things up in a safe, Way for everybody who uses the MBTA. We just counted down the top five stories in the Bay State. So let's go around the nation, around the world, shall we? Number five, major victories for organized labor. It was an alphabet soup of strikes, standoffs, and ultimately union victories. UPS, the UAW, the WGA, SAG-AFTRA, Kaiser Permanente, Starbucks, hospitality workers in Vegas, teachers in Massachusetts, and all that comes at a time when union membership rates are actually dropping 2023 the year of the workers yes staff?
1: yeah and it's an interesting worker obviously you have in there uh, the, the the standard auto and mm-hmm. drivers and mm-hmm. truckers and medical workers but you also have what we used to call white-collar mm-hmm. jobs right the writers in, in Hollywood the creatives uh, and some of the more educated college educated workers, who are, I think, emboldened by what happened during COVID and saw some of the challenges that uh, they needed to face to get to work and what their workers were, their employers were willing to do for them to keep them safe and are coming out saying, no, we're demanding these things. It's an interesting place. For uh, union organizers to be to look out over what is usually, you know, blue collar, and now this real big variety of workers that might want to be in the union.
0: Strikes like, like these, like we're seeing at the UAW, aren't new. I think for for me, you now know who are leading these strikes. Mm-hmm. The, these these people have been propelled to sort of national figures that you that you don't just right. see during an election year or during a campaign season when everybody wants their endorsements. They were on the news. They were talking to to, to you and I about what they wanted, and I remember. Speaking to the leader of the Teamsters and him saying, you know, SAG-AFTRA is, is going to follow our lead and they're going to be able to get what they want. And look what happened. They did.
1: And the thing they're fighting for, too, also the AI, artificial mm-hmm. intelligence, robotics, things our lawmakers are just kind of looking at. They're fighting to make sure that job protections out there and there's restrictions put on it. So that's important stuff.
0: All right, let's move to number four. And this one is a big one. The wars in Ukraine and Gaza. Let's face it, the loss of life has been heartbreaking, and really, there's no end in sight for either conflict. In Ukraine, the war has put on full display the stark partisan divide in Congress, as support for Ukraine appears to be a partisan issue, with Democrats and Republicans on opposite sides. Meanwhile, the war in Gaza, it started following the horrific October 7th terrorist attack by Hamas that killed 1,200 Israeli civilians. Palestinian officials say more than 15,000 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli attacks on Gaza. The war has led to highly contentious debate in this country, sometimes leading to threats against Jewish students on college campuses, allegedly at Harvard and MIT, and accusations that local universities tolerated anti-Semitic protests against Jews. This is a heated issue, um, one that is very personal for a lot of people, but we've been watching it play out here in in Massachusetts, but also around the country when you've got the presidents of Harvard and MIT being brought to the Hill um, and asked whether their universities allow anti-Semitic language and behavior um, to to, to run rampant or if there is some sort of disciplinary action there. Just as we wind down 2023, your thoughts on kind of where we go from here on Israel and Gaza and, and in Ukraine?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think part of this, Corey, and I've been thinking about this a lot, is that the lack of education Americans have about Russia and about Israel in the Middle East in general, uh, and uh, the situation in Gaza has really fueled some of the discontent with what's, and the outrage with what's happening, and also the not understanding how important Ukraine is to a democracy and to a, a d- democratic world. So um, I'm hoping that folks in the new year, before they offer an opinion on something, really do some research from trusted sources even in an encyclopedia like the Mm -hmm. Britannica to take a look and just educate themselves on what the history is, because a lot of what I'm seeing happen and a lot of these discussions and um, some of the outrage is not just based. It's just not based on fact. It's not based Mm -hmm. on history. So um, I've been just disheartened about how little people knew about the USSR, Mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin, Ukraine, anti-Semitism, the situation in Gaza. uh, And I just hope that we can become more educated Mm -hmm. before we express our own. And and
0: one more just following on Israel and Gaza, I think, as journalists, we have a responsibility to, to call out the, the protections that need to be in place for journalists who are covering this mm-hmm. conflict, whether they are in Israel, Ukraine, or Gaza. So many of them have died. So many of them fear that they are going to die simply bringing the world pictures and stories about what is happening on the ground. So we owe them a debt of gratitude for what they do and the fact that they are putting their lives uh, in harm's way to bring us the information that we need to better understand uh, this ongoing conflict. So hopefully 2024 will bring more peace um to to that region and in ukraine as well uh, but we would be remiss if we did not mention the journalists that are covering uh these important stories all right let's move on to number three now and that is what's going to be the biggest story of 2024 the presidential campaign is not exactly capture the public's attention Former President Trump has skipped every debate and only done a select few interviews, thereby avoiding a lot of questions about his presidency and his record. Polls indicate, though, that no other Republican candidate has broken through to present a meaningful challenge to Trump. Meantime, on the Democratic side, President Biden is skipping the New Hampshire primary because the Granite State is not following the DNC's new primary rules. And he's also dogged by low approval ratings. The latest number is just having him come in at about 37 percent. Let's start on the Republican side. Anything surprise you by Donald Trump's decisions not to show up at any of these debates? I mean, look, he's got to be in court physically. (laughs) Um, But but are are you surprised at all as the year wound down that he wasn't on any of those stages?
1: No. I mean, the one thing I know that I can can predict with Donald Trump is you can't predict what's going to happen. He has totally blown up the process of how we elect a president, how you campaign for president. Nothing has been the same since the day Donald Trump got elected. So uh, him not showing up to the debates, I think, is is insulting to voters in general and certainly insulting to his... His uh, his his the candidates running against him, but I don't think he cares mm. about being insulting. So he's just going to be wreck it Ralph and do whatever he wants.
0: On the Democratic side, we know President Biden is uh, the front runner now, but he is being challenged by the Dean Phillips and Marianne Williamson's of the world. Do you think this whole New Hampshire primary thing is just ultimately going to blow over, and he's just going to say, "Look, it is what it is. I, I've got to move on uh, and, and short my base in places like South Carolina." Do you think that ultimately impacts his run?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know that it impacts his run, but it does certainly set up. The Uh, what's going to happen in the next presidential cycle. And I think it's uh, talking to a number of voters in New Hampshire this month. They're mad at Biden, but um, they'll just vote in the Republican primary. They're not that concerned about how it's going to impact the country, uh, whether or not, you know, they're going to be giving the election Mm. to Donald Trump, which they say they don't want to do. But I think this is going to be a big, big issue moving Mm. forward. And
0: I think it it behooves us as journalists to not just cover who we, who who is going to win, who's up, who's down, but what is really at stake Mm -hmm. in 2024, Which is
1: democracy. Yes,
0: yes it is. All right, let's move on to number two, and that was the dysfunction in our nation's capital, and it has perhaps been captured most by the House of Representatives. We'll start with Kevin McCarthy. Remember him? (laughs) Took him 15 ballots for his fellow Republicans to finally give him the gavel as Speaker in the House back in January. The House passed no major legislation during his tenure until September when it avoided a self-inflicted wound and didn't shut the government down. Well, then after that, conservatives moved against McCarthy. He was the first speaker in history to be removed through a motion to vacate. He left Congress in December. For weeks, there was no speaker until finally Mike Johnson won the gavel. And if you thought, hey, things are looking up for the (laughs) GOP, you were wrong. In short order, New York Congressman George Santos was expelled from Congress. Kevin McCarthy announced he was going to retire. And there's a real possibility the government shuts down early next year. Um, More dysfunction in store in 2024?
1: Absolutely. The People's House is a wreck. Maybe Fran Dreischer should get in there and try and get them all organized. Listen, they're not going to be able to pass very much legislation. They have a very narrow majority, which the Democrats... I mean, we might see Hakeem Jeffries be the the Speaker of the House for a day or two at some point. I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about ways to circumvent the system that the Democrats can do. But it's a mess, and Mm. it is... Again, this is Donald Trump, the MAGA Republicans. They're the ones that are doing this and holding the country hostage.
0: Uh, Yes or no. And again, hate to put you on the spot. Do they impeach President Biden next year?
1: They will try, but they're not going to. All
0: right. Let's move on to number one. And really, number one is about the number 91. That would be the number of felony charges that former President Donald Trump faces. Before this year, no American president or former president had ever been indicted. Donald Trump is charged in four separate criminal criminal cases. In New York, he faces 34 felony counts in connection to a hush money payment to a porn star. Georgia, 13 felony counts for his election interference in that state, allegedly. In Washington D.C., he faces four felony counts for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. And down in good old Florida, where Mar-a-Lago is, he faces 40 felony counts for hoarding classified documents after he left office and impeding the government's efforts to retrieve them. He certainly allowed us to add some frequent flyer miles yeah, as yes. we followed each of these uh, indictments, but just your thought on the year of Donald Trump in 2023.
1: We have to be careful not to normalize it. You know, I mean, at some point we stopped worrying about whether we should go to the next indictment or not. The fact that that was even a question. It's not even news anymore that he's been in a courtroom in New York facing uh, the 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 what's gonna happen from a fraud case that he's already found uh, guilty and liable in. We have to not normalize this behavior i know it's a pain in the neck to have to list everything that he's done what he's been charged with but this is not normal and we just can't look at it as if it's just another day in the life of donald trump
0: so many historic pictures so many historic moments of photographing him sitting at the table um you know with his defense lawyers and, and just seeing that this is a front page that we had never seen before in American history. And look, I I don't think it would shock anybody if we saw even more history be made next year.
1: Right. And we joke about saying unprecedented, right? Yeah. How many times can we say unprecedented when it keeps happening? You know, the first time when we got the call, we were going down to cover the indictment. You know, you went to New York the first time yeah. and that was a big deal. Yeah. And then we went to Florida yeah. and it was kind of a big deal. And then, you know, we went to DC and then it was, oh, well, it's not that yeah. big a deal. Oh, we're going go to go the next one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it is a big deal and we have to find a way to stay focused on it.
0: Yeah, It's certainly important because it matters to all of us. Well, that'll do it for the final edition of Taking Issue in 2023. We'll see you next week in a new year. And the countdown to election season is absolutely on. We're going to preview the Iowa caucus, the New Hampshire primary and everything that has happened in the last couple of days over the course of the new year. For Sue O'Connell and Matt Pritchard. I'm Corey Smith. Happy New Year, everybody.